how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome back to the show. In this episode, I sat down with Chad Fee and the creator of Lawman Bass Reeves. As a screenwriter, he's got credits for Paranormal Activity 4, Southland, Rectify, Banshee Origins, Banshee, Ray Donovan, and now Lawman Bass Reeves, produced by Taylor Sheridan. As the creator of this show, it follows legendary Lawman Bass Reeves, one of the greatest frontier heroes, and one of the first black deputy U.S. Marshals west of the Mississippi River. In this interview, we talk about the limited series. We also talk about low-budget, single-setting films, going to AFI as a producer with Sam Ismail, getting discovered on the blacklist, early mentors in the business, understanding the vernacular of Texas, and how shows from people like Taylor Sheridan are tapping into unmet needs for a hopeful, optimistic audience. Here's my conversation with Chad Fian. I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, and I had relatively young parents. Um, who uh, would take me and my sister to the movies every weekend. And uh, they, uh, for better or worse, didn't have much of a filter. Um, so I, I saw anything and everything, um, uh, you know, including a lot that I shouldn't have seen at the age, and quickly developed a, a deep-seated love for movies. Um, and, you know, growing up in Fort Worth, especially at the time, it doesn't really occur to you that it's a career choice. Um, and then when I was, you know, in my early teens, 13, 14, 15, um, Tarantino exploded on the scene with Reservoir Dogs and Robert Riguez exploded with El Mariachi. Um, and, and seeing Robert have success with El Mariachi, it occurred to me that not only did people get paid to make movies, but that it was possible to come from Texas and make movies. And so I kind of became a, a one-track mind at, at that point and really set my sights on um, being a filmmaker. Um, and I went to college and got my undergraduate degree in English literature on, on some advice um, that every great movie starts a great story and you better understand the classics. And then uh, went to graduate school uh, for film at AFI. So that's kind of how I got started. Some of the first scripts you wrote, what were they like? Were you already kind of leaning into uh, Western or whatever you kind of want to call the the types of mov movies and shows you make? Yeah, I mean, the, the first feature I ever wrote on my own, um, you know, was a strange little hybrid of sort of horror and drama. Um, and that, that was simply um, designed a necessity of wanting to do something very contained and, and low budget um, at, at a single location. Um, it was this, the second script that I, that my life sort of changed and the trajectory of my life changed. Um, I came out of AFI as a producer and had some success as a producer and intended on producing despite a deep-seated um, and, and, and private desire to, to write and direct. 
Um, but I had optioned a book um, called Twilight by an author named William Gay that I intended to hire a writer. Um, and partially because of the material and partially because of not this past writer strike, but the writer strike before, we couldn't find a writer. And the option was about to expire. And the woman that I had optioned a book with, Amanda McAuliffe, encouraged me to adapt it myself. Um, and it was um, sort of a noiry Western um, set in the 1970s in, in, in Tennessee um, that I adapted and, and um, you know, sent it out and, and it made its way to CIA and ended up number 10 on the 2011 blacklist um, and sort of changed the whole trajectory of my life. Um, you know, I've written in sort of a lot of different arenas, um, but what I will say is that I'm always drawn to a character that I can relate to and identify with first and foremost. And that's sort of my guiding light. If if that protagonist is somebody that I understand and, and feel like I can infuse my own emotional well into, then I, I, I feel like I can do good work. So. Did you have any early mentors that kind of helped? Because it seems like you, one way or another, you found this balance of like the creative writer mind and then the more entrepreneurial producer mind. I'm, I'm curious kind of how, you know, you developed that that double superpower type thing. Um, I, I think, you know, being educated as a producer at AFI was, was great for me. Um, I had a, I think uniquely talented class. Um, Sam Ishmael, uh, John Levine, um, you know, my friend Jacob Foreman, who's a successful writer. Um, and, you know, I felt like I was in a, in a position at AFI to really collaborate with them and help push that boulder up the mountain, if you will. Um, and then when I started writing on my own, um, had that skill set from those days that I was able to apply to my own work, um, sort of relentlessness, um, creativity in terms of how to get material into people's hands. Um, and, and it proved to be useful. Um, so I, I would say that that education really helped me. Um, in terms of the writing, um, you know, I obviously read a lot of writers that I admired their movies. Um, it was my first TV show, which was Southland, that I that I worked with Jonathan Lisko and Chris Chulak. Jonathan Lisko was the showrunner and Chris Chulak was the producing director. And they were both very supportive of me. Um, Jonathan, in terms of building a narrative and, and, and building a script, Chris, in terms of how to produce a television show. Um, and so I, I would count those two as mentors. Um, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of uh, Ray McKinnon on Rectify, um, brought me with Georgia, brought me to Georgia with him to help produce the show. And I was an executive story editor, which is kind of unheard of uh, because I had a producing background. Um, he brought me with him. Uh, Jonathan Tropper on Banshee uh, took me to Pittsburgh to, to help produce the show. And then 
uh, last but not least, David Hollander, who I, I worked with for nearly four years on Ray Donovan, um, really um, took me under his wing and, and helped me grow. So, Was there a, a point or maybe a series of points where you felt like you were mentally ready to kind of shift from the more like staff writer position to like showrunner or more like leading a project all the way through to the end? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, um, by the end of, of, of my stint on Ray, I, I felt like I was definitely ready. Um, you know, I had a number of opportunities um, after that, um, and some of them didn't work out. And I, and I think that those lessons were just as valuable, if not more valuable, than a show like Bass that did work out. Um, it, 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 it taught me things that going into bass, um, that I really used, um, where, where to compromise and where to absolutely never compromise. Um, and so, you know, while I felt ready after Ray, and I think that if the perfect opportunity presented itself after Ray, I, I would have succeeded. There were a couple between Ray and bass that didn't work and um you know I, I would say that those were extraordinarily valuable um and and that's the challenge of the showrunner is you know obviously crafting the narrative and and, and leading you know 150 people and doing all those things are, 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 are challenging but it's it's really knowing how to compromise and how not to compromise so Looking back on your career, do you see like a specific lane that makes a project yours or your style writing? I, th I spoke with Scott Teams, who I think wrote on Rectify. Yeah, I he, love Scott. He talks about like violence and religion in the South. Like that was something that he's drawn to. Do you have something like that that you like to think of whether a project is right for you? Um, uh, things that take place, um, not necessarily in the South, but in Texas. Are, are things that I just inevitably know. I, I, I know the vernacular. Um, you know, I, I'm typically drawn to those things and um, the things that I uh, write on spec, um, I would say 85% of the time they're set in Texas. Um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, outside of Texas, again, it's, it's, it's a character that I can infuse some of my own emotionality into that I can understand. Um, I've just started thinking about, it's actually a feature, um, but it's centered around, it centers around a, 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 a woman in her late thirties, early forties, who through various circumstances feels as if her life is slipping past um that 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 the idea of, of of living is escaping her um and that's something that i think a lot of people can identify with if, you know you're you're out of youth right and youth feels so turbulent and vibrant and emotional and and then you you get to a place where you're studying a career and you have a family and and all those things are wonderful but some of that vibrancy is or some of that excitement is gone and and wanting to recapture that how do you recapture that and so 
Like that's a character that I've come up with in my mind and something that I, I can identify with, you know, that I think is, I, might, I talked to my wife about it. She, she feels it as well, you know? Um, and so not so much a, a genre or a, a, a tonality, but a character's emotional through line is what I tend to gravitate towards. You know, like Ray Donovan, which I worked on for a long time, was easy because it, you know, I find that Texans and Bostonians are cut from the same cloth. And Ray is Irish Catholic, one of three brothers. I'm Irish Catholic. My father was one of three brothers. Um, and so I understood a lot of the, those themes and those emotions well. And it was easy for me to write. So. What kind of stood out about your first pass of like reading the, there's a book trilogy for Bass Reeves. What kind of first stood out about the character for you? Um, well, I, I knew about him growing up. Um, I had an uncle that was a storyteller the first time I about Bass and, and the idea of this gunslinging black U.S. deputy marshal kicking ass in the Wild West sort of never left my mind. Um, you know, the, the first thing that I sort of identified with personally was, you know, I'm blessed to do what I do, as is David Oyelowo. We both bonded over this. But one of the downsides of this career is that you have to leave your family for months on end. Um, and that was the first um, grappling hook that I was able to sink into the character of Look, he's got to go out and live in Indian territory for six weeks. And when you have young children, six weeks is a lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, and so the pain of leaving and the pain of coming home and, and watching your kids not recognize you, uh, your kids have a new hobby, your kids have grown two inches, whatever it be, um, the, the, that was the first thing that I really sunk my teeth into for the character. The second thing was sort of this idea of hope and turbulent times. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're at a cultural, social, political crossroads, and I'm choosing very consciously and requires effort to remain hopeful and optimistic that, that our society will find its way through it. Um, and Bass, Bass lived in a very turbulent social political time um, with the integrated construction um, and really trying to, despite the insurmountable odds and difficulties and racism, all those things that he encounters on a daily basis, choose to try to remain optimistic and hopeful about where we're headed. So. Back to your, your first point, um, the timing issue, did that make it feel like um, it was it was better for a TV than say a movie? Because you really need like that runway, I feel like to, to emphasize some of that point you're making. It, it came to me as a, as a series. So the idea of a movie never really entered my mind. Um, you know, Taylor recommended me to David and had a had dinner with David and immediately connected with him and was determined to help him however I could. 
Um, and then I became voracious about reading anything I could about Bass and was very shocked to discover that he was forced to fight for the Confederacy and escaped enslavement and hid amongst the American Indians in Indian territory. Um, and so for me, that was such a unique and narratively rich inciting incident. Um, it also lent itself to the character in terms of we know the justice was extraordinarily important to Bass Reeves. Uh, none of the historical record explains why. Um, but to watch the man endure the injustices that he endured, you automatically understand why justice becomes so important. And then begin to whittle away at the idea of justice as he sees it. And is justice and law the same thing? And, you know, inevitably, you know, he decides that they're not, but I believe comes to a place that he thinks that he can straddle the line and do his job and do his job well. So. Did you and uh, David perhaps have any other conversations like outside of the book and the story? Like, did you feel like it needs to like think about how does this fit into the greater Taylor Sheridan universe or even like maybe Mission Tarantino, like Django Unchained? Did you have any other reference talks or was it just about the, the stories? Um, you know, we're both fans of, of Taylor's work and, and, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's great. You know, I, I, for me personally, 1883 is one of the best shows that's been made in the last decade. So we, you know, David and I did talk about 1883, but, you know, for me, it was, um, the first, uh, movie that popped in my head was the Revenant. Um, you know, the, the Revenant really made the landscape, um, you know, and, and, and the difficulty of the landscape and the environment, um, such an integral part of that movie. And uh, it's, it's the entire movie, really. And, um, you know, we wanted to communicate some of that, um, especially in the pilot when he's, he's escaping enslavement. Um, you know, I read a lot of Cormac McCarthy while I was writing, um, you know, but again, it's, it's, it was really about the man and that emotional journey and not sort of listening to any outside noise or any outside influences. It was about how best do we honor Bass Reeves and the triumph of the human spirit. Um, and that was, that was sort of the guiding line. So. I felt like for a while we were maybe before Taylor Sheridan hit the scene. So while we're kind of losing Westerns, do you feel like they're, they're kind of back? Have they just migrated to television? What are your kind of your thoughts about Westerns today? Um, I, I think they're, I think they're back. Um, you know, I, I think for, for two reasons, um, you know, um, I, I've been kind of beating this drum for almost 10 years now. Um, there, there's a whole swath of the middle of the country that I, I believe has been underserved uh, in recent years. And I think what Taylor did so br brilliantly was he starting started writing characters who 
look like, talk like, dress like, experience the same trials and tribulations that a lot of the people in the middle of the country deal with day in, day out. And I think aside from being a wildly talented writer and filmmaker, the reason why he's been so enormously successful is because he's tapped into that need. Um, so, and I, and I think Westerns in, in general um, have the ability to do that. Um, I, I also think that Westerns are about optimism and hope, you know, and, and, and about possibility, um, the great unknown. Um, a lot of times they are anyway. And again, going back to, to, to where we are, you know, I think people are just looking for that idea of hope and, and what can tomorrow look like and can it be better than, than today. So. We talked about some of your, you know, your 90s influences. Um, Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew book was very groundbreaking. I'm in North Carolina. I think a lot about like how to put North Carolina Mormon map in films. You do that with Texas. Any advice for people trying to tell localized stories in a maybe a universal manner? Yeah, I mean, um, again, you know, I, I human beings all experience the same breadth of emotion, right? Some, some may experience heightened joy more than others or heightened terror more than others, but, but we all feel the same range of emotions. Um, and that, that's what makes stories universal. So again, tap into with your character that, that emotion that you're feeling that you can apply to a character that you know other people can relate to. Um, and then what's great about being from a very regionally specific place like Texas or North Carolina, it, that's the eye candy, right? That's the, that, that's, those are the things that people um, who are not from those places enjoy getting to see a different slice of the way that, you know, somebody in North Carolina speaks or a turn of phrase or you know, the, the, the beautiful foliage of North Carolina, getting to see that. Um, so, so make it universal in terms of what the character is experiencing and going through, make it specific in terms of what is unique about the place you're writing to. Um, you know, uh, Texas Monthly, I don't know what North Carolina has. Texas Monthly is a great resource to find Texas-based stories. Um, which I, I often read Texas Monthly to get inspired. Um, so go to, go to the library, find, you know, characters or stories that are specific to North Carolina, um, get on the internet and build the narrative out from there. So. We'll just do uh, one more. As you're thinking about like what's next, you've kind of got this, this woman character that that's the kind of an obsession. You're reading a lot of things, seeing what makes sense. Some of it's situational, but how do you know you're ready to really pursue something? Is it just something like as story-wise, it is something that you're obsessed over that can't, that won't leave your mind or how do you think about choosing the next project? So I, I, I start every morning with a three mile walk um, and I'll typically put on, score 
or instrumental music on my AirPods. And if my mind starts wondering and obsessing about a particular character or topic, then I know I'm, I'm ready. Um, so I'll give a shout out to a friend of mine, Michael James, who's a member of Explosions in the Sky. Um, I, I listen to Explosions in the Sky all the time on a three-mile walk, and inevitably ideas would just start popping in my head. And once they start coming rapidly, then I, then I know that I'm in the creative sweet spot to start exploring, you know, whether it be a, a TV show or a movie to write. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.